All right, let's stand and take our Bibles. Genesis 49. Genesis 49. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Are you glad to be in church tonight? Yes. Are you happy tonight? Yes. Are you happy tonight? Yes. Praise the Lord. That's good. Genesis 49. Genesis 49. Please share your Bible with someone next to you. We're looking at verses 22 to 25. Ticket sales will still go on tonight for the ladies' event. So, ladies, if you haven't bought your ticket, please get that. Husbands, if you know your wife hasn't got it, or hasn't purchased it, be a good husband to buy that, okay? That'd be a, that'd be a blessing there. And uh, then get your giving by faith tickets tonight as well there, if you would, please. Are you there? Verse 22. Follow as we read the scriptures tonight. I'm going to read it tonight. I want you to follow. I'm going to read slowly, but I want you to follow what we're reading tonight. Joseph is a fruitful bow even a fruitful bow by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel." Even by the God of thy father who shall help thee and by the Almighty who shall bless thee with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Now, the entire passage tonight is about Joseph. It is a prophecy and it's a benediction that Joseph is giving to Joseph as he did with his other sons. Now, Joseph is not the last one. The last one would be with Benjamin. I'll probably finish that in June, in June sometime. But tonight we want to look at the son by the name of Joseph and the blessing of God upon him. And a thought I want to give you this evening is found in verse 22. It speaks of him being fruitful twice. His, 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 where, how he got his fruitfulness, but the phrase that really should speak to us this evening is that last part. It says, his branches, whose branches run over the wall. And I just want to encourage you this evening of what it means to be a Christian who's over the top, a Christian whose branches run over the wall. And we want to just see a few things tonight to encourage us in our study. And then right after that, I'm going to, I'm going to have you load up something on your phone that I think will be helpful to you. And then we'll have our ice cream fellowship. So if you can persevere for a little bit tonight, we'll get to our ice cream fellowship. But I want you just to just be encouraged and help through the message tonight. Now, Father, bless your word. We know that your word will not return void into you. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And for me personally, Lord, the series we've been doing on the sons of Jacob have encouraged my heart and have built me up in the word of your grace. I pray the same for us that are here. I pray that it will help our roots to get deeper. I pray that uh, every, every one of my brothers and sisters here tonight would uh, determine to be like Joseph, who's, who is a fruitful bow by the well, and we'd realize the importance of where we're situated and the importance of realizing tonight that uh, what God expects and de demands of us this evening. God, I pray this evening we, you would deliver us from being uh, perhaps just uh, indifferent and uh, just kind of be nonchalant about things and I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to kick things up in our life and to realize the, what, what requirements you have for the Christian life and that every one of us would be a Christian who's over the top, 
whose branches would run over the wall. Would you help us to give understanding to these, these uh, scriptures tonight? Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law this evening. Speak to our heart. Help us to make definitive decisions that will change us and make a difference for eternity, we pray. And we'll thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. You may be seated. When I think of real-life examples of people over the top, you know, we, we tend to go to sports examples or someone who did something great in a war, and those are all good things. But I have to be honest with you, there are no examples that are greater about people who are over the top than believers found in the Word of God. Amen? Because every one of these believers that we find in the Word of God, those are true incidences, true situations that happen. For instance, I think about some women because we're kind of focusing on women, uh, our ladies, if you would, the next, next couple, a uh, few days here on Saturday with the ladies special and Sunday with Mother's Day. And I'm just kind of reminded of two ladies by the name of Shifra and Puah. Now just pronouncing their name is hard enough, amen? But these are two Hebrew women who defied the orders of the king. They obeyed God rather than man. And they dared to defy Pharaoh because they answered to a higher power. Pharaoh said, you got to kill the firstborn sons that are born to the Hebrew women. They said, we will not do that. And they spared those sons and God spared them. And God preserved those ladies and God built their homes. I think of a man by the name of Beth Leo, who we don't think about often, but he was the great architect who God commissioned to build out the whole tabernacle. And he did it exactly as God asked him to do that or commanded him to do that. And what a, what a great job. He's remembered and pictured there in scripture as, as this great architect. I think of Caleb, who at the old age, of, in, at 80 years of age, he claimed his mountain for God. He says, my strength is, is, not, is not abated. He said, my eyes are not dim. He said, give me that mountain. I think of Ehud, who was a man that the Bible says was left-handed. And back in those days, being left-handed was considered a disability. Some commentators believe that he truly was disabled, that he was disabled in his right hand. He couldn't use his right hand well, so he used his left hand. And God used an unlikely person, a left-handed man, to become a judge that God used for his glory there. And he was a man that God was victorious in what he did. I think of Shamgar, one of my favorite Bible characters. Shamgar, one verse about this man Shamgar. And the Bible says he took an ox gold a cattle prod, and he defeated 600, 600 of the enemies, 600 Philistines with this cattle prod. I think of David and Goliath and how this young man appeared on the scene. He did not come dressed for battle. He had no idea he was going to face the giant that morning. He just went in obedience to what his father said and brought some bread and some cheese and some crackers to his brothers. He checked on things was going on. He heard the thunderous war of Goliath, and he says, what shall be done unto this man? And I think of David and how he prevailed over, over Goliath. I think of three young men Maybe some young men tonight like this. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their names were Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Three men that God used in a great way to overcome the flames of the fiery furnace. I think of a little lad, we'll never know his name until we get to heaven, who gave five loaves and two fishes. And God only knows how many thousands of messages have been preached about the feeding of the multitude that have encouraged people to give, to encourage God's people to trust God for miracles, to have faith in God, all because one boy showed up out in the middle of nowhere with his little happy meal, five little barley loaves and two fishes and with use of God. I think of Peter who felt like he was a failure and he was a failure after denying the Lord and yet how God used him to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost and God used him again another time to preach the gospel again and 5,000 more got saved after that and how God used him again to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean what a wonderful thing. And so tonight we come to a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph has been 
Perhaps a character that most of our teachers have preached on. I'm, I'm sure that he's probably been preached on from this pulpit many times, many times by me, many times by others, many times by guest preachers that have come. And we noticed some things about Joseph tonight. Get your pen ready because we're going to give you some notes tonight. First of all, he's the first son of Rachel. Rachel couldn't bear children, but God blessed her and opened her womb. She was, he was the first son of Rachel and the 11th of the 12 brothers and the most noted of Jacob's 12 sons. He was greatly loved by his father Jacob. Joseph had two sons. One was named Manasseh. The other was named Ephraim. Now we need to remember those two names. Manasseh means forget. Ephraim means fruitful. And so we look at this. It's just God named those two sons. He named those two sons to remind him of what God had done in his life. And we find later on when Joshua gives the blessing blessings of the inheritance, those blessings are parted not just through Joseph, but through these two sons by the name of Ephraim and Manasseh. We see Joseph who is a son, Joseph who is a sibling. We see Joseph and his suffering. We see Joseph who became, who was a servant, and yet Joseph who was elevated to a sovereign, and Joseph who became a savior. All the world, you might say, was spared from harm because of Joseph's wisdom there. The statement of Jacob concerning Joseph encourages you and me how an extraordinary God uses ordinary people. Look at it again. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bow, even a fruitful bow by a wall whose branches run over the wall. Verse 24. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee. Joseph had many challenges in his early years. I think if that had been the majority of us, and those kind of challenges, we would have thrown in the towel, we would have quit, we would have said, no more, God, I don't want anything more to do with it. But Joseph stayed by the stuff, and he was faithful. And tonight we want to see some things about how to be an over-the-top Christian. To be an over-the-top Christian is not easy. To be an over-the-top Christian is going to involve some suffering. To be an over-the-top Christian, you've got to stay by it. To be an over-the-top Christian, you've got to do it God's way. To be an over-the-top Christian, you've got to decide to live your life just like Joseph. But if you'll do that, you'll follow what God wants you to do. Listen, what we read here, God wants to do in your life and do in, my, in your life as well there. I want you to see some things about Joseph. Number one, in verse 22, I want to see Joseph and his performance. Joseph and his performance. The Bible says here, Joseph is a fruitful bow. Now, a bow is a branch. But if you check the Hebrew translation very carefully, it means specifically he was a son. It refers to the fact that Joseph was a fruitful son. How many believe tonight God wants to be fruitful with your Christian life? Amen? God wants to be fruitful in your Christian life. All of John chapter 15 speaks of that. Now, if you have an idea other than that, you're not on board with God. Because notice, Paul was so much in tune with that, he gives a prayer later on in Colossians 1.10. Now, go with me to John 15, because I want to read this to you. This is not in your notes. This is off the script, because I don't want you falling asleep tonight. I want you just to catch what we're saying here this evening. But notice how Jesus is speaking to these apostles. And John 15 speaks about the importance of being fruitful. Would you go there, please? John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Say amen if you're there. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, verse 2 is very pivotal. If you're not bearing fruit, he says, I'm going to take you away. Get busy. Amen? And every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purges it. Now, purging is a good thing. I was with some folks. I was visiting with some folks on Monday night. 
And I like it when people have fruit trees. They say, would you like to see our backyard? I love to see your backyard. I always want to see that as long as it's not something I have to clean up for you. Amen, you know? And they said, why don't you see our, our Santa Rosa plum tree? And I said, I started to see the, the fruit start to come out. I said, you're going to have a good year. I said, did you prune the tree before winter came? They said, we did. And that's why they're coming out. We think we're going to have a great year this year. Pruning is important if you want good fruit. Jesus said, every branch in me that beareth fruit, he pruneth, he purges it. Now listen, that means you've got to go through some hard times. That means you've got to experience sometimes some trials, some difficulties, hardship. Notice verse 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now I'm not going to get ahead of my series that I'm preaching Sunday morning, but I just want to say this. Joseph was a fruitful bow. There was performance in his life. Now, how was he fruitful? Notice in back in Genesis 49. Go back there, please. He's just simply called fruitful. Now, there's a lot of good terms that you want someone to say about you. I mean, you want someone to say he's a good man or he's a good woman. You want someone to say that that's a man of prayer. Or you want someone to say that's a faithful man. By the way, to be called faithful is a good thing. You ought to be faithful in what you do. And, but I want you to notice here, all of those were presumed already inside of Joseph. The Bible says here in verse 22, he was a fruitful bow, a fruitful son, a fruitful branch. Notice, first of all, in his performance, we see his person. Notice it says in Joseph, he is is a fruitful bow, even a fruitful bow by a well. It's his person. His entire person is described as being fruitful. You know God's commendation of him? He's fruitful. You know God's commendation for you and me? We're fruitful. God, does, God wants to see your faithfulness. The faithfulness that's applied correctly should be fruitful. And fruitfulness applied correctly should be faithful. Now listen, get to your place. Be fruitful in what you do for Jesus Christ. Don't start sliding along the way or getting indifferent and saying somebody else is going to get the job done. Everybody needs to get the job done. Everybody needs to find their life. In fact, tonight, I want to encourage you, everybody here tonight, regardless of who you are, ought to sign up and be a part of the Seedline Project that we're going to have July 7th and 21st. Why? Because that's your part in helping get the gospel seed out. Amen? For God to bless. The Lord gave the word, and great was the copy of those that published it. Colossians 1.10 says, Paul prayed this for the church at Colossae, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Now, I don't have time to get into that tonight, but you need to study that. Every good work doesn't mean choosing what you want to do. Every good work is talking about the spiritual things of God. He said, I'm praying for you that you be fruitful in every good work. So many is a good work. Coming to church is a good work. Pouring a cup of cold water in Jesus' name is good work. Bringing people to church in a vehicle is a good work. Participating, serving God is a good work. That you be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, he prayed they'd be fruitful. Now, what is that fruit we're talking about? Very simply, number one tonight, I want you to consider with me the fruit of the Spirit. And go with me to Galatians chapter 5 this evening because I want you to see how the fruit of the Spirit was evident in the life of Joseph. So studying this uh, for preparation for tonight was greatly encouraged in my life and greatly challenged as I started uh, thinking through the fruit of the Spirit and was it evident in Joseph's life, even though that doctrine had not been preached and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit was, was not fully revealed at that moment of time. And you notice in Galatians chapter 5, we find in verses 22 and 23, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, it's presumed that you're supposed to be giving off the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, there's nine fruit of the Spirit. Nine fruit of the Spirit. 
God wants to see all of that fruit in our lives. Now notice, the fruit of love was in Joseph's life. Joseph had a holy love for his father and for his brothers, and especially for his brother Benjamin. Uh, notice the fruit of joy. Joy was evident in his life. We see joy in, the life, uh, in his life when he was given the coat of many colors by his father, by father Jacob. And he was joyful in that when he wore that. He displayed it openly. He was not ashamed of that. He had joy of the Lord. Hey, by the way, we should have joy to display our Christianity without any shame. Amen. And he just put on that coat of many colors, which was a picture of the fact that, you know, God is clothed us with a robe of righteousness. And the moment you get saved, thank God he takes with those old dirty rags and he puts on that robe of righteousness on us. And he had joy in, in his life when he was moved from the prison to the palace. He had joy when he's reunited with his brothers and with his father. He had joy. I mean, the joy of the Lord was in his life. We see the fruit of peace in his life. The Bible tells us in Genesis that he gave peace to Pharaoh and to Egypt when he was able to uh, decipher for them and tell them what those dreams meant. He brought peace to Pharaoh and to Egypt. He brought peace into the hearts of his brothers. They had consternation as they looked at their brother who was the governor of Egypt and thought he's going to bring judgment on us, but he put peace in their hearts when he, when he, when he addressed them. Uh, we noticed the spirit, the, 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 the fruit of long suffering in his life. Now that's something all of us need to work on. He was very long suffering in what he did. He was long suffering when he was sold into slavery. He was at long suffering when he had to stay there in that prison and, the, and he was forgotten there. He had long suffering when he was unjustly accused by Potiphar's wife. He had long suffering. He suffered through that. He didn't backslide through a bad attitude there. And then we see the fruit of gentleness. That's something every man in this room we need to work on. He had the fruit of gentleness. He was gentle in his treatment of everyone in his life. You'll know where in Genesis do you find Joseph getting upset with the butler or the baker, getting upset with Potiphar or Potiphar's wife. We don't see him getting upset with his brothers. We don't see him getting upset with, 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 with Pharaoh. We don't see him getting upset with anybody there. We see this man having a spirit of goodness in his life. And by the way, the Bible says the fruit of the spirit is found in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Notice something else here. We see the fruit of the spirit in his faith. Now, one of the things we find about Joseph, we find this recorded in Genesis in Hebrews chapter 11. He was a man of incredible faith in all phases of his life. And he, uh, when he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, he showed faith in the, in, in, the, in the message of God. He had faith in God, enabling him to say that. And by the way, when he died, we find him exhibiting faith at death. Listen, the greatest time to exhibit faith is when we're about to pass this life. That's what it says about Sarah. It says about Joseph. It says about Enoch, he was not, God translated him. He didn't die, God translated him. And I'm just saying tonight, we need to recognize how faith is applied. We see, the fruit, we see his fruit in meekness. Boy, that's something we need to work on. His meekness and his submission to his father. His obedience as a slave, his ongoing respect for Pharaoh, there was meekness. And by the way, he didn't get to this place where though Pharaoh had entrusted many things to him and Potiphar had entrusted many things to him, the Bible says the hand of the Lord was with him. He had a spirit of meekness. He had a servant's heart. He didn't take advantage of anyone. He didn't do anything for his own benefit. He did everything as a good steward of God. We see it in his temperance. In one of the great passages of Scripture is Genesis 39, when Potiphar's wife, she came as a seductress and she tried to entice him and lead him into, lead him into sin. And he says, how can I do this great wickedness against God? And when the time came, she, she tried to uh, go after him. He ran from her. He fled from her there. We see that temperance there. And so we see in his life that all of these fruit of the Spirit are evident. But I want you to see something else. Notice in Galatians 5.23. When that fruit of the Spirit is evident, the Bible says this, against such there is no law. You know what that means? They can't find anything to accuse you of. You're blameless. Against such there is no law. That helps us tonight. 
Because we need to understand as we face many temptations and pressures, the importance of having a godly testimony in an ungodly world. Deal Moody said this, The surest way to win our families, our neighbors, and others to Christ is to adorn the doctrine of Jesus Christ in our lives and grow in all these graces. If we have peace, joy, love, gentleness, goodness, and temperance, we shall have a quiet and silent power proceeding from us. That's powerful. We see the fruit of the Spirit, but you notice, secondly, there's the fruit of souls being saved. John 15, 16, would you turn there, please? John 15, 16, again, a reminder, I say this all the time, but we need to hear it again. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. By the way, aren't you glad, God, you're chosen in the Lord, amen? You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and have ordained you. I've set you apart. And by the way, this says you're special, amen? God says, you, you say, well, I, I, I'm shy. God says, you can do it. You say, I can't speak. God says, you can do it. God, you say, well, I, I have too many problems. God says, you can do it. I've ordained you, set you apart, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Dr. Lee Robertson, who we, we knew been days gone by, I'm thankful to have had many meals with Dr. Robertson and spent time with him when I was a young man. Dr. Robertson said this, I want to get just as many people ready for heaven as I can. Hell is a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Heaven is a place of joy, happiness, and no tears. Being a soul winner is greater than being a preacher or a great doctor or a great dentist or a great businessman. Let's get people ready for heaven, Dr. Robertson said. Charles Spurgeon said this about the fruit of souls being saved. I remember when I have preached at different times in the country and sometimes hear that my whole soul is agonized over men. Every nerve in my body has been strained and I could have wept uh, my very being out of my eyes and carried my whole frame away in a flood of tears if I could just but would win souls. What a great statement. The Civil War, there was a soldier by the name of Peter Apple. You'll never read about Peter Apple most places. Gypsy Smith, who was a great preacher, a great independent Baptist preacher. His name was, his legal name was Rodney Smith. He was a gypsy that got saved. He wrote a book entitled The Beauty of Jesus. And in that book, he talks about this name, this man who was in the Civil War by the name of Paul Apple. Paul Apple wasn't, wasn't a great soldier, but one thing that stood out about him is that he knew whenever his superiors said charge or do something, he just was obedient and did it. He was the kind of man who never came back until he made contact with the enemy. They went to battle with the enemy one day, and his commanding officer, the CO, said, Charge! And there in that civil war, he charged with his rifle in hand, and he ran right out, out there. But they started to realize that the enemy was very well positioned in the backside there. And the enemy was firing away, and, and the commanding officer gave a command. He retracted what he said and told his men, Come back! Retreat! Come back, retreat. Paul Apple didn't hear him. Paul Apple, all he could remember was that as he ran out ahead, he thought all his fellow soldiers were with him. He ran out ahead, and he just did what the commanding officer said at the beginning, charge. Except he didn't hear, come back, retreat, come back, retreat, find cover. He just kept on going. Enemy fire was going. Amazingly, he didn't get hit by one bullet. Not even a straight bullet hit him. And he got to a hole where some of the enemy were. They're just kind of amazed. This soldier was running towards him. And the nearest man, the, net, the nearest gunner there, he grabbed, he took the gun away from that man. And he grabbed him by the collar and he jerked him out of the hole. And he took him and turned him around with his, heart, with his uh, rifle in one hand and the soldier behind him, the enemy. And he just carried him like this all the way back. And you can imagine what a sight this is. There's enemy fire going everywhere and they're just kind of stopped for a minute saying, what is going on? He grabs him by the collar. He starts walking. He holds his rifle and keeps looking back. Well, the enemy's watching this guy, Paul Apple. And every time they want to shoot him, it just happens to be at that right moment of time. He happened, the, 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 the soldier he's pulling gives him some resistance. He kind of pulls him up and as they're about to 
click the rifle and shoot him. They don't want to shoot because they don't want to hit their own man. And amazingly, this guy goes several hundred yards back, carrying the enemy with him, dragging him on the feet, bringing him back to the hole where he's at. Well, on his side, they're watching this guy, Paul Apple. They're thinking, what a nut is this? This guy's going to get killed doing this there. And they're watching him get there, and he gets over there. As he does so, he lets go of the guy in front of his commanding officer. He looks at his fellow soldiers, and listen to what he says. He said, boys, why didn't you come on? Every fellow might have got one. Boys, why didn't you come on? Every fellow might have got one. Let me say this to you tonight. And so many, boys and girls, why didn't you come on? Everyone might get one. Amen. Amen. Last summer, I asked Brother Irwin to come to see me. We prayed together about starting a Bible study at UC Berkeley. And Brother Irwin's got a go-to attitude. I love his attitude. He's just, he's got, just like the staff, he's just, I got a go-to attitude. But Brother Irwin, just as we got closer to August, he came in to talk to me, go over his plan, he, and we started praying. And I could tell from his praying, he felt really over his head. Very intimidated, and I don't blame him. You Just you and your wife. And you're wondering, how are we going to get a Bible study started there? And we looked at the students we had. We had more women than we had men. And I reminded him, I said, you know, God, Paul, Paul commended those women who helped him in the gospel. I said, those are women are going to help us in the gospel. Amen. And so they started off the Bible study at UC Berkeley. And I, I'm going to tell you, every month we've seen people saved. We've seen people saved. Students embrace, and I have to just give credit to Brother Arnold. Brother Arnold, has, because he, he coaches uh, over in San Francisco, a number of his students he coached. He's stayed in contact with them. He's caring for them. He's just, just, he's just trying to love them in the Lord. And, and Brother Arnold just kind of feeding Reba and, and uh, some of the students there at Berkeley and Brother Irwin with information weekly about what's going on with these students there. And, and uh, just this past Wednesday, I was getting in. We had a deacon's meeting after church and talked about a few things. Good deacon's meeting. And, and uh, as I got home about 1030 with my wife that night, I got a text that showed up on my phone. It was from Brother Irwin. It said, Pastor. And there was a picture. Just want you to know, this young man came to our Bible study tonight, and he got saved tonight after the Bible study. Why don't we all go? Because you might get one. We had folks out in Sony yesterday. I had, I'm working through all the, we're working through all of the um, Easter prospects and went to family yesterday, a home yesterday. We went to last week. They weren't home, so we made an appointment to go see them. Got to give the gospel to three adults there in one room. My wife could testify as we got in there. We just felt like there was just a liberty of the Holy Spirit. And I was sharing this morning that I started off, I, I asked him, as we started chit-chatting a little bit, I asked this question. I said, let me ask this question. I said, if today was your last day on planet Earth, I said, how sure are you going to heaven? And all three of them picked up a piece of paper that started going like this. Which meant they were getting very, very warm. I said, did I say something wrong? They said, no. They said, to just ask that question. We know our lives. I know my life. And I just know that, that I've got a lot of sin in my life. And I'm just going like this. I, I'm not really sure I'm going to get to heaven there. Well, that just gave, gave a good segue to get into the gospel. We're thankful many minutes later that as we explained the gospel, went over with them, had them read the scriptures, all three of them trusted Jesus Christ, their Savior. Thank God, yesterday I got a report from several others. Brother Erwin, another one, they followed on. They got saved. And another one, they got saved from another team that went out. And we just thank God for that. We found out this week, Brother, Brother Justin was fine on the number of names. We found out some more people that came to the Easter musical had gotten saved, but they just they weren't recognized and acknowledged during, during the, the invitation time. And I'm just saying today, you know, we need to have that spirit of a Paul Apple and just saying, why don't you come on? Every fellow might get one. And I'm just saying tonight, let's, let's embrace the fact that, that we can win souls to Christ and we can do what we can for the Lord Jesus Christ there. Notice we see his person, but secondly, very quickly, notice in Genesis 49, we see his position. Now, why was he a fruitful bow? What contributed to him being a fruitful bow? Was it because he was elected? Was it because he had special charismatic capabilities? No. Look at verse 22 again. 
He is a fruitful bow. Notice the description again. Even a fruitful bow by a well. Now listen, we see his performance is found in his person because he just got his priorities right, but his performance is found in his position. Notice he's by a well. The well figuratively speaks to us about the word of God. Listen, Psalms 1-3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaves also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now listen, he was a fruitful bowl because he got deep into the well of God's word. He, the well is a picture of Jesus Christ. He got his roots deep into Jesus Christ. Hey, aren't you glad tonight you can get your roots deep in the Word of God? Aren't you glad tonight you can get your roots deep in the Word of God and in Jesus and you realize the promise there tonight according to Psalms 1-3 is that you'll be a fruitful bow? Hey, there's a correlation. The more of the Word, the more fruitful you'll be. The more prayer, the more fruitful you'll be. Hey, listen, John 15, verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me, the if is put on us. The contingencies put on us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Hey, there's a correlation. Much fruit is correlated with much of the word and much of prayer there. And so we see tonight that that was important that he's described as a fruitful bow by a well. In the arid Middle East, wells are a key to survival. In Genesis 26, we have the story there of Isaac going there and digging up the wells of his father Abraham. The Philistines had plugged up those wells. They knew that they, they wanted to claim that land and they didn't want Abraham coming back in there or his descendants coming back in there and raising their and, and growing their crops and raising their, their herds and stuff like this. So they filled it up and Isaac and his servants went down there. You know the story there. They went down there and redug them. Now two things are important about wells. Would you write this down? Two things are important. Number one, wells must be dug. Listen, if you're going to grow in Christ, you want to be fruitful, you got to start digging in the word. Start digging in the Word. And I'm not talking about intellectual digging. I want you, I'm talking about when you're digging so, so deep in the Word, the Word is digging deeply into your heart there. Wells need to be dug. But notice, secondly, wells need to be deep. Wells need to be deep. You want a good well draws very deep beneath the earth. If it's shallow, you don't have a lot of water source. You don't have strong underground springs that are sprouting up there. Wells need to be dug and wells need to be deep. If you want to be fruitful, you need to be deep in the Word of God. Hudson Taylor said this in his book, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. If you're ever drinking at the fountain with what, uh, he, let me read that again. If you're ever drinking at the fountain, he wrote, with what will your life be running over? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I like that. And then we see something else. We see his performance is found in his person. His performance is found in his position. But notice in verse 22, his performance is found in his productivity. Notice his branches run over the wall. Have you ever seen a vine that's, that, that just keeps on growing? You ever seen a vine that creeps over a wall and just keeps on going? Have you ever had a vine wrap itself around your, your gutters at, at your home? You ever seen a vine make, make its way up your walls or a vine make its way across your window? If you, don't, if, you're not, if you don't watch it, the vines can overtake what's going on there. A fruitful vine draws its resource from the ground and it just keeps on going and it keeps on growing. Hey, listen here. His vine went over the wall. He's a fruitful boat that went over the wall. He didn't let walls stop him. He didn't let obstacles keep him from going. He kept on going. He went over the top. He was so fruitful. He extended his reach and he kept on growing. God wants you and me to extend our reach and keep on growing. His branches had substantial growth and productivity. Listen, Jabez prayed that God would enlarge his coast. Churches are to be branches that run over the wall in missions and church planting. Beloved, this evening it's time we go over the wall. Amen. It's time we go over the top. Listen, let's go over the top in winning souls. Let's go over the top in building our growth groups. Let's go over the top in building 
shouting our church. Let's go over the top and reading our Bible. Let's go over the top in prayer. Let's go over the top and doing something for God. Hey, let's go over the top on May 19th when we take the giving by faith offering. Let's have branches that run over the wall. Let's just go over the top for the glory of God. Number one, over the top performance are by people who have great performance. They're fruitful bows. Are you a fruitful bow tonight? Number two, quickly. We see Joseph in his performance. Would you notice verse 23? We see Joseph in his perseverance. Would you notice this picture? By the way, Jacob used a lot of uh, colorful pictures in describing his sons. But this one here about Joseph, it speaks to us. Verse 23 says, The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and have hated him. Now you understand the picture there. The archers are men with bows and arrows who've reached back in their quiver and pulled an arrow out. They've strained and pulling back the the bow and letting the arrow go is this so it met its mark, it hit its target and he was wounded not just once and not just twice, he was wounded many times. It says he was a the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. You notice here tonight that as we look at this, we're going to see in verses 23 and 24, we're going to see how Joseph, not only in his performance, but we see Joseph in his perseverance, how he, how he got through. And if you look at the difficulties and trials he went through, you have to ask yourself the question, how did he make it? I mean, I think about Charles Spurgeon. He made this comment about perseverance. He said, by perseverance, the snail made it to the ark. Think about that one. And you think about right now about Joseph, if you and I just went through one of his trials, would we even have stayed by the stub? Would we have just thrown a towel and complained and quit? But he stayed by it. Now notice some things verse 23 speaks to us about how this man was so great in his perseverance. Notice first of all, he was hated. The Bible says, the solar archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and they hate him. Now the underlying reason why he was shot at was because he was hated. Can I tell you something tonight? The devil hates you. Hatred is a very terrible emotion. When you're hated, you are despised, you're disrespected, and you're targeted. Hatred has no business in the heart of a Christian. Hatred results in rage and wrath. Where there's hatred, there's unforgiveness. The devil hates us. His name indicates he's the enemy of the believer and he hates us. Hatred is a sin of the flesh. Listen tonight. Cain hated Abel because he gave a more excellent sacrifice. Esau hated Jacob. King Ahab hated the report and the prophecies of Micaiah the prophet. Joseph was hated by his brethren. Hey, question we have to ask ourselves tonight. Are you someone that is hated? And all of us should say yes because the devil hates us. The devil hates this message. The devil hated the message that was preached this morning. The devil hates the fact you're here at church. The devil hates the fact that you're trying to live for God. The devil hates the fact that maybe just in the last few moments God's stirring your heart about being faithful, uh, being a faithful soul winner. Maybe the, devil, the devil's mad at the fact that he's, God stirred your heart about, being, about bearing the fruit of the Spirit, whatever it may be. We have to understand the devil hates those kind of things. Are you someone who is hated? And by the way, are you someone who's filled with hate? Now, if you've got a hate problem tonight, you need to make your way down the aisle and get right with God tonight. He was hated, but notice something else in verse 23. He was hit. They shot at him. They hit him. The devil shoots his fiery darts at us. 
There are those who would try to hurt us through their words. Their words are arrows in the soul. Listen to Psalm 64, 3. Who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Even bitter words. Now listen tonight. We can say it over and over again. We need to be very, very careful of our words. You get upset about something, don't use your electron, don't use email, text message, all this stuff to convey your message. Do what the Bible says. Having many words to say to you, I would rather see you face to face. Get it done. Listen, we live in a world filled with hatred. And unfortunately, that's kind of trickled over and poured over the cup. The cup of wrath is poured in the lives of believers. We're, we're mimicking the world. We need to be mimicking our Lord Jesus Christ here. Joseph was hated. Joseph was hit. Notice Joseph was hurt. The Bible says he was sorely grieved. He was hurt in his spirit. Can you imagine how hurt he must have been? His brothers manhandled him. They tore the, they ripped the coat of many colors, which was his father's gift off him, and they tore it to shreds. And then they took him and threw him into a pit that was used for capturing animals. They actually ate their lunch and enjoyed their lunch while he was languishing there and begging them to get him out of there. Can you imagine them selling him off to the Midianites for 15 pieces of silver? Can you imagine later on how he's hurt by the fact that Potiphar's wife has lied against him and falsely accused him and Potiphar believed her? Can you imagine how hurt he was that he was forgotten in prison? Can you imagine all the hurt he went through that he went through for several years? He could have given up. He could have hit. Hey, listen, a lot of times when trials come in our life, there's no time. We have no idea how long the trial is going to last. If it's one day, one month, one year, 10 years, we don't know. But I'm going to tell you this, whatever time it is, you just thank God every day that God trusts you with that trial. Amen. He was hurt. We look at Joseph here, verse 23, we can say, man, he, he had it bad. The archers have sorely grieved him. They've shot at him. They've hated him. They've hit him. He was, he, was, he, was, he was hurt. But I want you to notice verse 24, the beginning part, he was heroic. How did Joseph make it through all that? He persevered. Notice how he persevered. This is so good, verse 24. His bow of bone is strength. Now, Joseph himself is pictured as a bow. You've ever gone archery shoot, you understand the importance of a strong bow. You understand that a bow has to be able to absorb more tension. And listen, the stronger the bow, the more it's able to absorb tension, the farther the arrow will go, the stronger its impact when it hits its target there. And it describes Joseph being in character as a bow that abode in strength. He was strong. He was pulled back, but he was strong. He was bended, but he was strong. And listen, a lot of times trials that come in our lives will bend us over. They'll stretch us to our limits. Listen, as a bow his bow of bone and strength speaks to the fact that he had great elasticity. He was elastic. God could stretch him further. Hey, there are times in our lives where God puts things in our lives to stretch us a little bit more. Elijah was at that place when the woman he stayed with there, Zarephath, her son died. The Bible says he stretched himself across her body. He had to pray like he never prayed before. I say this all the time. We must pray like we're in a trial or God sends us trials to teach us how to pray. And you notice here in his life here, he was heroic that the Bible says his bow abode in strength. Listen, there's sometimes where God has to pull us back and pull us back and pull us back. But he demonstrated perseverance. Hey, don't quit when it gets bad. Don't throw in the towel when it gets bad. Don't quit church when it gets bad. Don't stop praying when it gets bad. Don't stop reading your Bible when it gets bad. Don't stop praising God when it gets bad. Listen, the best thing you could do when you're going through trial and sorrow and heartache and maybe misunderstanding, just keep on praising God and thanking God that he put that in your life there. Hudson Taylor said this in his book, His Spiritual Secret. Now I am happy in my Savior's love. I can thank him for all, even the most painful experiences of the past, and trust him without fear for all that is to come. What a great faith. Diamonds are formed under great pressure and heat. 
If you don't have great pressure and heat, diamonds cannot be formed. It is not that they will be low in quality or smaller in size. They just will not form. God brings his refining fire to your life and mine to create in us what he sees fit. When he sees we're lacking character, he will bring into our lives what we exactly need to have to help shape us and mold us. Listen, next time you get a fiery trial, thank God for that. He's producing exactly what he needs to produce in your life and mine. The only difference between a diamond and a coal, piece of coal, is the pressure. Just the pressure. We see Joseph and his performance, Joseph and his perseverance. Would you notice verses 24 and 25? Notice Joseph and his power. His bow of bone, his strength. We talked about his perseverance, his resiliency. He could be bent. He could be stretched. But we see his power. In verses 24 and 25, we see the secret of his power. Notice, first of all, we have to see the source. The Bible says in verse 24, But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is, his, is the shepherd and the stone of Israel. Would you notice the source of all this? Notice the descriptions. We see the mighty God of Jacob, and Jacob's talking about how God worked in his life. And I think J Jacob specifically is talking about his encounter with the uh, pre-incarnate Lord Jesus there at, at the well of Peniel. He speaks of the mighty God of Jacob. He's saying God never failed me in the past. God never failed me in the present. And God's not going to fail me in the future. He's talking about the mighty God of Jacob. He talked about God being the shepherd of his life. And by the way, aren't you glad that he's a mighty shepherd who leads us? Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Thank God for his leading. Thank God for the shepherd of our life. He speaks of him as the shepherd. He speaks of him as the stone of Israel. And notice he says, the God of thy father. He was encouraging him. He said, listen, God did not fail me and God will not fail you as well. He speaks about the God of his father. He speaks about God being Shaddai, the almighty. Listen, he's saying here today, the source of power when you wrap it all together is God. How me understand tonight the source of our power is God. Without God's power, we're not going to make it. Amen? Without God's power, we can do nothing. Some of us think we could do it with our intellect, and some of us think we could do it with our talents and our personality. Listen, without God's power, we're not going to make it. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power, the dunamis that worketh in us. Hey, let's praise God tonight that the source of his power was God himself. Amen? But notice the strength in that power. There's one thing to say there's power. It's another thing to experience the strength of that power. Notice, I love this part here. The arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Now, you have to understand the, the picture here. In one sense, the picture is of a father teaching his son how to pull a bow and arrow. Or in another sense, a father teaching his son manual labor that's very strenuous and involves a lot of strength. And the father, as the, as the scriptures defines here, that his arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God. So in other words, saying here, listen, what God does for you and me comes up alongside of us, behind us, and he puts his hands on our hands. And with his hands, his great, mighty, powerful hands, there's nothing we cannot do. And you'll notice here in verse 24, it says this. He says, his arm, the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. And I'm glad tonight God puts his hands on mine. He does for me what I cannot do. And he puts his hands on yours to do what you cannot do. And listen, his, hand, his arms of his hands were made strong by the mighty hands of the God of Jacob. When you're feeling 
quivering and you're feeling weak and you're feeling just inadequate, you're feeling that you can't get it done, it's time for us to stop and say, God, I need you to put your hand on my life and we need the hand of the Lord to be upon us. I think about that verse that describes the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 11. It says the hand of the Lord was upon them. And tonight, if there's anything we need, we need the mighty hands of God on our life and on our ministry and what we do. We need it in our life when we go through times of difficulty. The mighty hands of God. Hosea chapter 12 verses 3 and 4. It speaks about that, that power. Here's, here's what the Hosea's commentary about Jacob. He said he took his brother by the heel in the womb and notice by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel, prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with him. Hey, listen tonight. Do you have power with God? Do you have power with God? Did you see his power this week? Did you see his power today? We see his power tomorrow? Listen, his arms were made strong by the mighty hands of God. Micah 3.8, Micah said this, But truly, I'm full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel. So you know what he's saying there? When you read the opening chapters there of the book of Micah, I mean, God has some strong things to say to Israel and Judah about their sins. And Micah felt like every prophet during his time, every contemporary, Lord, you sure you want me to give that message? Lord, do you know, do you know what you're asking me to do? I mean, he, that's why every time that God, God said, set your face like a flint, he says, don't be afraid of them. You, you just better give that message because I know it's not easy. And here's what, here's what Micah said. He said, you know what? Truly, I'm full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. We need that power for difficult tasks. We need that power for the tasks that nobody wants to do, but maybe you're the only one that volunteered to get it done. Someone said this, I have a glove here in my hand. The glove by itself cannot do anything, but once the hand goes inside the glove, the hand controls what the glove is able to do. The power is not in the glove. The power is in the hand. Listen, we're the glove. He's the hand. And we see the strength of the power. But notice the scope of the power. The Bible says in verse 24, but his bow of bone and strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Notice verse 25. Even by the God of thy father who shall help thee. Aren't you glad God's there to help you tonight? Amen. Aren't you glad he's there to help you as the God who is your father? And by the Almighty, don't notice the scope of the blessings. How, how much did he say he'd bless him? How much did he say he'd give him power? How much would that strength be allocated? Notice, who shall bless thee with blessings of the heavens above? Blessings of the deep that lieth under. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. You know what he's saying there? They're unlimited in scope. They're unhindered in scope. Hey, aren't you glad tonight? There's power to be harnessed. But listen, someone needs to go after that power, amen? Someone needs to access that power. And J Jacob said, Joseph, you're the one that does it. Listen, Hudson Taylor said this. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Later on, he said this in a time of great trial. He said, Jesus is our strength, and what we cannot do or bear, he can, do both, he can both do and bear in us. Listen, over-the-top people are known for their performance. And over-the-top people are known for their perseverance. And over-the-top people are people who maximize God's power in their life. Would you notice one last thing, and we're done tonight. We see Joseph, who is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by the well, whose branches ran over the wall. We see his performance. We see his perseverance. We see his power as we close tonight. Would you notice his promotion? Notice his promotion. Verse 26. The blessings of thy father have, been, have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors. Now, what's he mean by progenitors? He's talking about the womb that he was born from. He said, there's only two sons that Rebekah had. 
Esau and Jacob. And she says, the blessings that God put on my life as, a, as your father prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors, of my, of my brother. And he says, because of that, he says, now notice the extent of these blessings. The blessings, he said here, um, the blessings of thy father were uh, prevailed upon the blessings of my progenitors. And notice he tells the reach again of this, unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. You know what he's saying there? It reaches all the way to heaven. That's a blessing, amen. And so you notice here, he's talking, as he talks about here, he, he says, now this is how God's blessed me, Joseph. I'm looking back in time as an old man. I'm leaning upon my staff. You're the second, the last. I'm giving my benediction and my prophecy to. I'm looking at you. And he says, listen, this is my last thing I want to tell you, son. He says, they shall also, those same blessings, those same blessings shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Now, what's he telling us there? He's telling us here, Joseph, he says, you're going to be promoted above where you're at right now. Thank God that you're governor. Thank God I gave you a coat of many colors. And thank God you've been the savior of the nation. But he's saying, son, the best is still to come. And he talked about his son, about the crown being on his head and the utmost bound of the blessings that reached all the way to, up to the hills that were eternal. He says, God blessed me, but those blessings are yours. And they go beyond that. And listen tonight, can I tell you something tonight? How God blessed the apostles. Paul, God wants that blessings on you and me. Now God bless the apostle Peter. God wants those blessings upon you and me. Listen, God is not, God, God is no respecter of persons, but we've got to meet the, pay the price and pay the, make the demand, meet the demand where God's at and realize we want that power. God is willing to give it to us tonight. So would you notice this promotion that God gave to him as Jacob was close to his death? Now how did he get that? How did he get this promotion from his father? Well, I'll give you two things. We're done. First of all, because of his separation. But you notice very carefully, verse 26, this is so important. Again, we're back to the doctrine of separation, which I don't have time to get into tonight. He says in the last part of verse 26, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of him that was separate from his brethren. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to read these verses to you tonight, and I'm just giving you one or two thoughts. 2 Corinthians 6, you might turn to your Bible there. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion is light with darkness? What concord is Christ with Belial? Or what part is he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, I like the blessings he tells about, about, about separation. Would you notice that last verse here? He says, when you come out from among them, he says, I will receive you. And he said in verse 18, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. You know what he's saying there? That one of the distinguishing factors about a born-again believer, a Christian who's living for God, is your separation from the world. That didn't get a lot of amens. And the Bible is very strong about when someone's, someone's deviating from right doctrine, right character, the Bible says, from such withdraw thyself. It says to mark them. And I was watching last week, I said some things about separation. I started to realize I was trying to allude to a couple things, and eyes were looking at each other about a bunch of things. They're like, I'm not sure I'm very comfortable with that. You better be comfortable with the Word of God, because sometimes God's Word asks us to do things that don't feel comfortable, but they're the right thing to do. Because the distinguishing factor is, and I shall be your father, and you shall be my sons and my daughter. It distinguishes from those who are disobedient. 
And I'm just saying tonight, his brethren were not right. Now, now listen, he had a good spirit. It's like what 2 Thessalonians 3 says, when you have to withdraw from them, he says, but still treat him like a brother. Joseph had a good spirit towards his brothers, but he had to be separate from them. What did he do? He had to go tell his father. He said, Dad, he says, you know, I've watched, I've watched my brothers. Dad, I've got to tell you this. They're not doing right. Dad, these are my brothers, but Lord, they're just, they're not doing right. They're taking advantage of you, and they're doing all this stuff, and it's not right. They're dead. I've got to tell you about this, and that wasn't easy for him to do. And the Bible tells us right there in Genesis 37, his brethren hated him. May I tell you this tonight? In trying to counsel new adults who come to our church, who come from church backgrounds, when I find out what church you're from, the very first thing I'll do, I'll ask one of the staff men who Brother Justin does this all the time with all the, with all the, all the visitors who come. We check the statement of faith very quickly of that church if we don't know anything about them. We want to know exactly what they believe and where they're from. I do that with some of even our independent Baptists now because I don't trust some of our independent Baptists what they're doing right now. Amen. And I'm not going to tell them all the doctrinal problems in the first two meetings with, that I have with them that I find there about them where they're not using the right version of the Bible or they're persuaded about something else there. One of the hardest things for people to understand is that doctrinal purity for a church. Our distinctives. And Joseph just had to be, you know, he was kind of Everybody distanced themselves from him. He didn't have to move. They moved from him. But his father said this about him. And on the crown and on him, the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Separation is not easy. Separation is hard. Involves tears. Involves hurt. And I'm not talking separation because of preferences. Too many silly things, people separate over silly things that have nothing to do with doctrine. It's preferences. When preferences get in the way, that's carnality and that's wrong. Paul accuses that, says about that in 1 Corinthians, that's wrong. You're carnal and you're, you're not right with God. And I want to challenge you tonight. One of our distinctives about being an independent Baptist is our separation. You, you guys need to go back and read some of the preaching of our, our Baptist forefathers days going by. Most of our churches have gone very far from that. And most Christians today, because you're so comfortable with the world, you don't want to hear that today. And if you hear it, you feel a little bit like, okay, that's good for Sunday. But the moment I walk out, I'm going to go back to my same lifestyle. That's not how you live. He said, come up from among them, the Bible says, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. My wife and I made a call recently. And, and God, I just want to say this, you know, God was so good to our church. He has blessed these Easter, this Easter outreach so much. We've had so much traction on that. And this family came. Wife came with her children. And uh, she's come for several Sundays, didn't come today. And uh, told us about the church she got saved in. And, uh, you know, and, and so forth there. And so quickly, once we found out the name of the church, checked out their statement. For the most part, they're, 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 they're most major doctrines. They're almost the same as us. But they're not the same. as They're not independent Baptists. Protestants and Baptists are not the same. Right. Baptists didn't come out of anything. Protestants came out of the, the Catholic Church, okay? Ba Baptists are not Protestants. You need to understand that tonight. 
We're not part of a denominational hierarchy. You need to understand that tonight, okay? And, and the person is just trying to, this is a new believer, hasn't grown in the faith, they're just trying to understand what Heritage Baptist Church is all about. And we just slowly, lovingly just walked through, spent two hours with them the other day. And so this other church doesn't know who we are, and they, you know, and, and I appreciate their spirit. They don't want to see, they don't want to see one of their members leave, and, and I appreciate that spirit. I feel the same way. I mean, just somebody leaves, I don't want them to leave. But they did something you shouldn't do unless you've checked out your stuff. And they started saying a lot of disparaging things about me and about the church. They don't even know me. I don't even know them. <laughs> and things like, well, if you go to a big church, you know, the pastor will never come to visit you and call on you there. And she's saying, you know, you're here visiting with me. I said, that's wrong. Check that off, you know. And you, know, you go to a big church, or you, you to, and we're not a big church. And they said, if you go there, they're going to do this. And, I, and she said, well, I didn't see that there. They said, you won't have joy. You won't make any friends. And, they, and the person said, I've already started to make friends. And they started getting uh, one of our discipleship classes. And they said, you know what? I've grown more in three weeks being here than I did for three years in the other place. Viviana, you testified many times. You grew the most in your Christian life here at Heritage Baptist Church. Amen? Amen. Amen? She said that every time, and for all the years Bibiana has been in this church, that's her one main testimony. She says, I thank God for my church because I have grown in this church. It's not me, it's God's Spirit. It's not any teacher in this church, it's God's Spirit that does that. And the Bible says he was promoted because of separation. Now let me tell you tonight, if you don't stay separated, God, there's a lid on the church. God can't bless us if we're not spiritually separated like we need to be. Now, if people come in with these other church attitudes, we're not bringing that, that junk in here. We're not going to bring it in here. We're not going to go speak in tongues. We're not going to be doing this stuff later, even though you feel like that. Amen? We're not going there. You think, that you think, we say, well, we're okay. You don't understand where I sit today. I'm looking, I'm studying our congregation. I'm studying our age levels. And I'm going to tell you tonight, everybody under 40, and I'm not being critical of anybody under 40, but everybody under 40 that comes from somewhere on the outside, they're looking for cool music. They're looking for a cool pastor that comes up to the platform with blue jeans, with holes all over his blue jeans. They're looking for a cool pastor, comes walking up there in flip-flops, has got his shirt wide open. They want somebody that's cool, talks down their level, who's not separated, who only preaches once a week and gives some kind of a cool jeans. Jesus sermon there. He never talks about the, the Bible. He only cherry picks what they want to hear. And they say, I love that pastor because he tells you what he wants to hear. Yeah, the Bible talks about that. They have itching ears. Itching ears. He's been himself teachers who have itching ears. Listen, you, you don't prove, choose a church based upon what you want to hear. You choose the church based on what must be preached. Amen. They want something cool. I would tell you tonight, you need something convicting. Amen. Listen, preaching should disturb you. The Bible should bother you. You should be bothering your heart and say, God, i got to do something about my life. I want to be fruitful like Joseph. I want to be separated like Joseph. I want to be holy like Joseph. I want to participate in the sea like to me. Hey, listen, if you've got that old church mentality from wherever you came from in your life, get rid of it tonight. Be separated from it and get the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ tonight. Amen. And then notice tonight, he was promoted not only because of separation, he was promoted because of his steadfastness. He's steadfast. Look at that, amen? I mean, listen, he's 45 years of age. Hey, you get 45 years of age, you either because start getting crusty or you get, you get the joy of the Lord in your life, amen? Now, you think of everything he went through. You read Genesis very carefully. If that was the average Christian in most churches, they would have thrown him the towel and said, I don't have one to do with the church. I'm one of those kind of people there. 
Joseph speaks about a crown on Joseph's head. Paul said, therefore, my beloved brethren, he's talking to people who've just gone through the ringer. Be steadfast. I encourage you tonight, be steadfast, amen? amen? Stay steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. All that goes together. Don't do less for God, do more for God, amen? And so Paul spoke about his promotion in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8 as we close. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. I want to be able to say that. Henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but all them that love is appearing. Joseph was a fruitful branch, a fruitful bow, who the Bible says is branches, not just one. They're offshoots. That's a good thing, amen? His branches, plural, ran over the wall. It was over the top in his performance. It was over the top in his perseverance. Brother and sister Christ, you're going through trial. Stay with it. Don't quit. It was over the top in his power. And he was over the top in his promotion. Many years ago, a pastor had a small church in an area that, you know, probably they weren't as aggressive as so many as we would be, but he was faithful. The preacher was old. One of the deacons who's kind of like a fixture in the church, who didn't contribute much of anything, he liked to just be an overseer, which he, that's not his designation. He rebuked the older preacher. And let me tell you something tonight. You better follow what 1 Timothy 5 says, rebuke not an elder. Rebuke not an elder. I got rebuked several times last year by the same person. I finally said, You're, you are usurping authority. You need to stop right now. He rebuked this preacher and he said, Preacher, nothing's happening in this church. Nothing's happening in this church. You've only added one person to the church in a whole year. He's just a little boy. Preacher started weeping. He said, I know. I feel it. But God knows I've done my best. I've tried all that I can. I can't tell you why this is happening. Preacher was hurt. He felt like several swords went through his heart at that moment. He's nearing retirement, probably past his retirement. And the devil started talking to him. Hey, preacher, the deacon's right. Why don't you just resign? Why don't you just resign? You couldn't get anything done here. He wrote a letter out. And he sat there. Unbeknownst to him, while he was staying behind after that deacon had rebuked him, that little boy that that deacon was talking about had, was standing in the back. He heard all that. The little boy ran up to the preacher. He says, hey, preacher. He says, I don't really understand what that man said to you. But he said, pastor, do you think if I worked hard for an education, I could be a preacher one day? And he's just a little boy. The preacher started crying. He wept. Then he got his composure. The Holy Spirit of God just kind of gave him peace at that moment of time. 
he got his composure. And the boy was just, you know, he didn't know what to say. He was watching his pastor weep. He didn't know what was going on. He just said, yes, again, pre preacher, I don't know what to say, but if I got an education, do you, do you think I could be a preacher like you? And the preacher said this, Ah, son, your words just healed the aching in my heart. I'll take you under my wings. And he said this, I quote, Robert, I see the divine hand now. May God bless you, my boy. Yes, I think you will become a preacher. The boy grew older, got training to be a preacher of the gospel. He got a call to the mission field. Many years later, that young boy, who's now an aged missionary at that time, he returned to London from Africa. When his name was mentioned throughout London, there was reverence everywhere. His name was Robert Moffat. David Livingston got called into Robert Moffat. Robert Moffat went on. You read his biography. He's the one that said things like this. My heart is aching because I see the smoke of a thousand villages who have yet to hear the gospel. And sometimes, if you just try to be faithful to God and do his work, that preacher could have thrown in the towel if he'd given it to the flesh. But he was being fruitful. He was a fruitful bow, and his branches ran over the wall. Little did he know that what he was pouring into that congregation was going to one little boy. That one little boy became a man who left that church, was commissioned and sent out of that church as their missionary, who went out because of that faithful preacher and impacted a good part of Africa and laid the groundwork later on for a man named David Livingston to go out to the mission field as well one day. Hey, you never know who you're going to impact. Who got the greater promotion? That preacher. That preacher. Tonight, Joseph's a wonderful example of being over-the-top Christian. Would you be someone whose branches run over the wall? Let's be over the top for the May 19th giving by faith offering. Let's determine this week to be over the top in our productivity, our fruitfulness, our walk with God.